Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, Glory family, those who are with us in the room, you can have a seat It is so good to have each and every one of you, uh, whether you are with us in person or watching online, uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, This is a already a crazy new year going into it and not really knowing what there is to come. I know, but if we could do anything in 2020, I mean, we planted a church. Uh, We started a church in 2020. I believe that God can do something in 2021 that will blow our um, expectations. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we will have our first birthday, and I'm really excited. Maybe you're here for the first time, or you're watching maybe for the first time. A friend shared it, and you're listening in. My name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I serve as a lead pastors here at Glory Church, and uh, I don't know what your background is with church. I don't know what your background is with pastors, but one of my favorite things that people can say about Kate and I is that we're just normal people, Uh, and so I want to get to know you. Uh, I'm not some, anyone fancy or anything. I just want to get to know you, so stick around. Stick with us. Uh, You have a place here, a seat at the table, and I'm pretty excited. Uh, If you were with us last week, you have heard by now this phrase, this isn't it. You've heard that phrase over and over, and in fact, uh, it is it is a new series that we started last week. This is week two of, and I'm really excited, because something happens as we start a new year. <laughs> I'm thankful for it. We get to tie a proverbial bow around all that 2020 was, and we get to jumpstart into something new. Nothing really changed, but at the same time, we feel like everything has changed. Uh, I think it's just this cognitive thing we do to help us be done and move on, because we know deep down that it wasn't it. Everything about 2020, that it has to be better than that. I think that's why we love newness, is because deep down we have this realization that how that was, or how I acted, or that's why we want changes, that's why New Year's resolutions are a thing, is because we know deep down that this isn't it. I mean, even this past week, how our world has handled things, yet again, this isn't it. This isn't it. Thankfully, this isn't what worship really will look like in heaven. Thankfully, this isn't what community will look like in heaven. It's so much more beautiful and powerful. So we're going to take 2021 to just dive into what is it. Because if you know anything about Jesus, you know that he constantly pushed the limits of what people thought things were and challenged us. And so as a church, I want to always be, I mean, we're only uh, not even a year old yet, but I want to always ask, all right, how are we doing, really? What have we been living like, and is it fitting with who we should be, how, how it should be or could be, or is there more? Is there something we're missing about who God is, what his presence is like, what we're called to be like? And so I am excited. If you remember last week, we talked about this uh, interaction that Jesus had with a woman at a well. Do you remember that story? Maybe you weren't with us at all, but you know the story. What he did in that moment was he showcased to her 
that how you did it, it's not it. How you believe worship to be, how you think of yourself, it's not it. It's not all that it could be. How you view me, the Messiah, isn't it. There's more. And in this one interaction, he had the two words that I hope have stuck with you, those words spirit and truth, that it's way bigger and way better. If you missed last week's message, I would love for you uh, to tune in to it. You can listen on the, the Glory podcast or on our website. I used some hula hoops. I don't have any props with me today. Some of you saw me drag them up and you're like, what is he doing with hula hoops? Please tell me he's not about to hula hoop. So that was last week's message. If that piques your interest, go ahead, listen in. But this morning, I am excited because we're literally carrying over this idea. Idea. Last week I had two words for you, spirit and truth, and this week I got two more words. All right, if you are taking notes, write this down. This morning is all about what we see and what we believe. It's all about what we see and what we believe. Those two words, see and believe, and there is a connection to it completely. I will tell you how you see the gospel isn't it. And I have to be okay. How I treat my family isn't it. It's not all that it could be. It's not all that it should be. How you treat a neighbor, how you treat someone that you don't know, a stranger, it isn't it. But what we see and what we believe are very intimately connected. I mean, I'll tell you this. uh, What we see can sort of funnel and fund and form what we believe. Early on in childhood, you know this. if If a child has seen neglect, they will believe that that is how it is. If a child has experienced that, we know that. But also the opposite is true. If you, you remember your your first girlfriend, boyfriend in high school, if you believe that they are talking it up with your best friend, you will begin seeing things, right, that fit that belief. It's so weird. When we form a strong belief, you will start seeing, you're like, oh, I saw that wink. And you're like, no, my eye twitched. No, I see it. Because what we see informs our belief, and what we believe will inform our sight, too. It's very powerful and really crazy, but as we get into this, I want to call out a part of myself that I think, I hope you can resonate with because I have a really big problem with this in my life. I am what we can say a recovering control freak, a recovering control freak. Some of you who know me really well are like, should you put the word recover on there? Um, Are you sure about that? But uh, trust me, if you know me from my childhood, it is a little better. But maybe you are a control freak as well. Uh, we can have a like a CFA, Control Freak Anonymous little club going on, but odds are that all of us can struggle with control, control issues. And this hits in with sight and belief more than you think, because when it comes to control, I want to know what's going on around me. I want to understand it. I want to grasp it. I want to tangibly even move it or fix it if things are messed up. It's all about what I can see and what I can handle. And if you're like me, I want the plan. And I want to make the plan or I want to know who's making the plan so that I can be a part of the plan making. And the unknowns, if you're a control freak or a recovering one, are scary unknowns in life are scary. In fact, many of our beliefs in life are formed by what we can visibly see or understand or grasp or touch or fathom or fix. And it's hard to believe as a control freak 
it's hard to believe in anything outside of that. In fact, those of us, I mean, the majority of us struggle, struggle with control, and that's why we also struggle to believe that other people truly love us or truly see us, because that's something that is so far out of our control, other people's opinions or matters, and we struggle to believe. The control freak struggles to believe that they're beautiful no matter how many times someone has said that to them. It's because that opinion is outside of their control, and they have a hard time trusting in anything that they can't fathom or think about. You have a hard time believing in anything that is outside of it. And we grow out of that to some extent. But I say all of this because there's this humbling truth that that control freak attitude bleeds into our spiritual life. It bleeds into our faith. It bleeds into our church life. The control freak attitude, it bleeds into everything where we start having this micromanaging conversation with the Lord. Hey, God, I trust you, but like I haven't seen this happen yet. And I, I, I'm a bad micromanager. I'm like, I gave you a list of things to do. Have you done them yet, God? Uh, like, and, and we don't say it like that, but at the same time, our heart is like, God, I've prayed this, but it hasn't happened. And we, I trust you, but our control freak attitude bleeds itself into our spiritual life where we say, God, I believe, but I don't see. And so really, I don't believe. Where are you? Like, can you just give me a step-by-step -step plan? so that I know what you're doing. And if I know what you're doing, if it's over here, I'll go over here. But like, where are you working? We can micromanage in our thoughts and prayers and completely miss it. You see, it's very interesting. We struggle to believe until after we see it. We see his provision and then we're like, oh, okay, God is a provider. Or we see the end in sight and we're like, okay, I can have the perseverance to get there. Or we see that things aren't as bad as we thought they were and now we have grace upon ourselves in hindsight. But in the moment, God is saying, regardless of what you can see, will you still believe that I'm here? And we often get that, that mixed up, switched up, but a growing faith is the opposite, right? If you, you know scripture writes, uh, we see this definition of faith as, as something that we're called to live out without sight. In other words, to walk by faith and not by sight, right? That's what scripture says, but obviously when we get that mixed up, things go crazy. Can you put that, we walk by faith, and I wonder if this is why we don't see wondrous things happen in our church because we don't walk by faith. We walk by control and sight instead of faith and surrender. And I wonder if that's why we don't see wondrous things until afterwards when things start clicking in. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. And I wonder if that is why we don't see healings or freedom where we don't feel his presence because we're walking by control in sight, instead of faith, and surrender. But scripture says faith is to look a different way. And I mean, you can imagine, uh, I'm a control freak and how squashed our faith will get as we lean into that control mentality. And I even wrote this down. I wonder if our eyes have actually damaged the strength of our spirit. Today's all about what we see and what we believe. 
I wonder if your eyes have actually damaged the strength of your spirit. Because 2021 already, you might be struggling with belief because you see that things aren't different. You just had a job loss. What you can visibly see is not fitting with what you think provision looks like. I wonder if your eyes, if your eyes have actually damaged the strength of your belief, your, your spirit, and into that Jesus is going to teach us this morning, if we'll let him, because he's about to say this isn't it. How you believe and how you see and how those connection, like those, that's not it. And what I'm really excited about, I love when this happens. I'm a little bit of a, of a scripture nerd. I love it when we can do things back to back. In fact, if you know anything about the story of the Samaritan woman, that was in chapter 4 of John. Jesus, he, he, he talks to the Samaritan lady. She invites him to go back to meet people. And if you remember the story from last week, they ask Jesus to stay with them for two days in Samaria. And so he stays and many people are believers. They come to faith and it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. Literally, the next thing is this passage. And I'm really excited because we're going to dive right now into John chapter 4. It'll be up here, but it's right afterwards. And I think you will see this connection between seeing and believing very quickly. And I love it. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and saying these, <laughs> this isn't it mentality. He's, he's, he's getting this truth. And so he says this. It says, verse 43, when the two days in Samaria were over, Jesus went from that place to Galilee. And then in the side, it says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. So now Jesus is walking back into his own country. And when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival. For they too had gone to the festival. Now I want to pause. This is one of those uh, strange little, like, two verses that are squashed in between two stories. And we can quickly look past it, but it's setting some powerful scene right here. And I don't even know if you caught it, but what is happening here is Jesus just spoke that he was changing how people worshiped. And now John, the writer, gives us this lovely little aside, telling us and reminding us that Jesus doesn't have honor in where he's about to go. And yet we see this word honor, yet the Galileans welcomed him. And I need, I, before we even get into something further, I need you to just feel the awkward or the strangeness of how can someone welcome someone but not honor them? How can they welcome? In other words, I want you to write, though the Galileans welcomed Jesus, they showed him little to no honor. Can you put that? Though they welcomed Jesus, they didn't honor him. And this is really important for you to realize because I, I say it, it's huge going forward. In other words, it's possible for people in our life to welcome Jesus into their day, to want him to play a role in their control. They want to want him to bring good things, to want what he has. It's possible to welcome Jesus into your life, but to not honor him as you to not honor him as your Lord. Does that make sense? You can welcome the good things he has and really excited about all that he could bring. At the same time, you completely deny that he's the Lord. 
And this is what the people are doing. It, it says that they, they saw him at the festival and saw what he did. So here comes the miracle worker, and they're welcoming him to hopefully get something from him. But there is no honor. For the Galileans, if you're taking notes, it was a relationship of request, but not of surrender. It was a relationship of request, but not a relationship of surrender at all. And this is very interesting because as we look at that, we often have a relationship with God that is very closely related to request. And can you put that, one, that up for them? We have this relationship where it's fit with request. We ask something of God. We ask something of him, but it's void of any type of surrender. And you know you're dealing with control freaks when more requests are made than there is surrender. When they ask, they demand more. When they want more. When they ask and, and request for more, but there's no open-handed surrender. And so I bring up all of that because you're about to see this beautiful connection between people who welcome Jesus and people who honor Jesus and people who see in order to believe and people who believe in order to see. Now that might be really confusing, but I promise it'll make sense. There's this beautiful connection to those who welcome and those who honor, and so it continues. The story picks up in verse 46. It says, then he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had changed the water to wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. So this, this dad, his son is dying. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official responded to him, sir, come down before my little boy dies. And so now we have this desperate father that is running onto the scene and we don't know much about him other than that he's a royal official. But what our gut reaction is, is to place him with these Galileans. He just wants what he can get out of Jesus and that's it. We think, oh, he's just a welcomer, not an honorer, right? He's just going, he just wants something from Jesus, a request, but there's no surrender, but it's very powerful. When Jesus writes, uh, when he speaks uh, that blunt call out, the you is actually plural. Because odds are, this man is yelling. He's a Roman official, a royal official. And now the Galileans have their eyes peaked. They're like, what's about to happen? Are we going to see something good? And so Jesus hears this claim, come heal my son. And he writes, unless you, scripture reads, unless you, he's talking to all of the people there, not just this man, but the Unless you believe, or unless you see, you're not going to believe. Is my mic cutting for you guys too? Cool. Uh, I didn't know if it was just a me thing. Uh, if it dies, we'll just run and find a new one. Um, but Jesus is saying, unless you guys see, then you're not going to believe. And yet, uh, we hear in that statement, oh, this man's just like the Galileans. But what he says afterwards separates him completely. It's really powerful. The word he uses is sir. 
Do you see this in verse uh, 49? Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Now, honestly, if I didn't have the ability to look at what the Greek word for sir was, I would have not thought anything different than this. All right, because I use sir all the time. I'm at Walmart and I say, hey, sir, can you get me this? Or a cash register or we talk to a waiter and we're like, sir, can you fill up my cup? Or there's a random person at a street. Hey, sir, can you, do you need help? Right? We use that a lot. But the power of this word is so much more beautiful than we can see. There's not an English word for it that fits the beauty of it. But the definition is this. The word is kairos. And the definition, if you'll put that up, the, the definition is supernatural master overall. Now I'm like, that's not what I use for sir, right? I'm like, sir, can you get me water? Not, hey, Lord, supernatural master overall, can you get me some water? And we overlook the power of the statement, but this man said, hey, sir, can you come with me? The Galileans, they welcomed him because they were hoping that they could get something from him, but there was no honor. They didn't see him as Lord, but now we see this royal official who approaches Jesus and says, Kyrios, Lord. But the second definition is just as powerful. If you'll put it up, it's a ruler or an owner. Someone that controls or exercises authority over a land. And I... I I don't want to overlook this. In one simple word, this man realized and recognized Jesus is not just a rabbi. I'm a royal official, and they should call me Kairos because I am an owner, a ruler over, over an authority. I'm an authority figure, yet I'm approaching him as this. I honor him. He is showcasing such belief. In other words, hey, Lord, please, you are the supernatural leader, master over all things, and you understand. And ruler, please, I know that you are in control. In other words, if you're taking notes, his belief led him to honoring. And I think that this is the issue that we sometimes follow through. We don't pause and say, Jesus, you are Lord. And that belief doesn't fuel us to honor. And so we stay in this control, um, awkward relationship with Christ where we want stuff from him, but don't honor him as the supreme master of this world. Lord, he said, Lord, and the, law, the honor literally led to something miraculous. The story continues in verse 50, if you'll put it up, that Jesus said to this man, okay, go, your son lives. And this is the man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he started on his way. He started on his way. It says he believed and he left. In other words, I, I want to put ourselves in this story. Because every single one of the Galileans, they wanted to see something physically happen. But instantly, Jesus just said, go, he's living, and the man left. Nothing physically changed. Nothing was seen that was different. Nothing was different at all. Uh, no, no changes were made for his eyes, for the eyes of the Galileans, but something shifted in his heart where he believed. Now, this is the beautiful thing because he walks home seemingly empty-handed. Do you realize he came to get Jesus, 
but he left without Jesus. And so every one of the Galileans who were just welcoming him, but not really believing that he was it, probably pitied the man as he was walking home. Ah, he didn't get what he wanted. Oh, there's no hope for his kid now. The miracle worker is not going with him. The, the miracle worker is not going with him. Ah, oh, he's not going to get it. There's no healing for him. Yet this man, his belief literally moves him to action. And I want to sit on this and pause because, hear me, I'm very thankful that this man did not sit in what his original mode of thinking was. Because we often come to Christ with one mode of thinking our way, our way. And when it comes to seeing and believing, our way can get into the way of any type of miraculous thing that Jesus is going to bring about. And so I'm very thankful that this man honored, because if you think about it, that was not his first way. He came with a single request, only a single one, Jesus, come with me. In other words, he's thinking, you have to come and see my boy in order to heal him. You have to come physically be with him in order for change to happen. But Jesus' answer was the complete opposite. He said, no, you go back because he's living. And this man could have very well been stuck as any recovering control freak would in what my way would be. Many of the times we get stuck right there. He could have been a control freak and exercised his authority. No, Jesus, you're a rabbi. I'm a royal official. You come with me. But he paused and realized something else. This man is Lord. He's the supreme master of everything. If he says it, it'll happen. He owns more things than I can fathom if he speaks it. It will happen, and so I believe. You say to go home, I'll go. I will go. But we often approach our belief in our prayers as an either-or thing, as an either-or thing. We, we say, either, God, you do this, or it's never going to happen. Or, God, if, if I don't get that higher paycheck, then my family cannot provide, or all these issues are going, and the only way to get it fixed is this, Lord. And we just keep getting angry at what God isn't doing. Jesus, the only way my son will be healed, if you don't come with me, he's going to die. That's an either-or thinking that was going to completely distract the man from honoring Christ. And either or thinking is sometimes what leads us to doubt what God is doing. It sometimes leads us to get completely sidetracked and we overlook the beauty of what he could be doing, what he is doing. This either or thing is destructive. You have to come with me in order for this to happen. It just screams doubt. If you're taking notes, write this down. We can welcome Jesus without honor when we place parameters on what he has the power to do or accomplish. We welcome him like the Galileans do without any honor. When we place parameters on what he has the power to do. But this Roman official, it is beautiful. He says, okay, I'll do what you say. I will do what you say say. And this separates completely from the Galileans. It was all about 
response. It was all about what they thought they could uh, get from Jesus. And now this man is, no, I'm going to worship and just trust what you say. We often have this relationship with God where it's um, very one-sided in our um, wanting things from him but never doing anything of surrender for him. And this man was like, no, I will do exactly what you ask. And then the story ends in this beautiful way. In verse 51, it says that as the man was going down because he left, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour that it began to recover. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. In the verse 53, the father realized that this was the exact hour that Jesus had said, your son lives. And so the man believed along with his whole household. And now hopefully you can pick up on this, the connection between believing and seeing. In fact, the Galileans, they wanted sight before belief, but this man, he still, at, the story ends right here, and he has not held his healed son yet. He's not embraced him. This is still not even in person. He hasn't seen the miracle, yet he's still believing. It's so powerful and beautiful that sight comes not from visibly seeing, but from truly believing that Jesus is the Lord. Sight comes, we get peace and hope. But if you're like me, I can quickly resonate with the Galileans over this man. Like the dozens of people surrounding him, I can want signs but lack submission. I can want signs and wonders but lack submission. We want wonderful things but we are very slow to being generous. And this is very powerful for us to realize. We welcome the good things of God but we struggle to give honor to him through them. In other words, I mean, our world is going crazy about these stimulus checks. I have not seen people Facebook status about how blessed they are about God ever before, but now they're like, God provided. I got this check in the mail. God is good. He is great. And we do that, and we welcome the blessings, but then we show him no honor when it comes to what we're going to do with it. Does this make sense? So you cannot welcome Jesus in his blessings without showing him the honor of saying, okay, now you're Lord, so you dictate what I do with this. This is the difference between the man and the Galileans. They wanted the blessings, but they completely were slow to own their own selves. They were slow to give up their own control. I wrote this one down. I I want good things, but we are slow to confess our own sins. So we want and want and want. I mean, ask yourself this. Your conversation with God lately, has it been more request than it has been confession? That shows if you have a welcoming attitude or an honoring attitude. Has your conversation with God been more about requests than it is confession? That shows if you have a welcoming attitude or an honoring attitude. But you see, our honor must fuel our belief. Just like for this man, his honor towards the Lord fueled his belief, and then he didn't even care if he physically saw Jesus come with him. 
Everyone else thought this man was walking home empty-handed, yet belief struck him because he honored. He honored. Now, this past week, I've been really intentional with this, and I, I want to sort of just share this story with you. We are tomorrow, um, and I'm really excited. Uh, we are going to have our first Glory Church staff meeting in our new offices as a church. Um, and I'm really excited. If you know anything about um, my family, we have we have four little kids, and it has been really hard to do school during this quarantine, life, work, staff meeting, all of that in one location, and just not be able to be out in, 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 the, in the community. So I'm really excited. On the 32nd block of Troost, we have offices. But I say all of this because it's been a big stressor for me. You want to talk about my control freak attitude. The past month has been there. And I've struggled because it, it was not the timing of getting this that I thought. It was not the, the, the way that I thought. And I'm really angry with God through it. I was really just struggling. Like, what is this? And I just kept saying, I will have peace when this happens. Do you ever have, feel like that? I will have peace when we finally get into there. It's an either or thing, God. You either do that or I don't have peace. But I've been really intentional this week of trying to approach Jesus as sir. Not just the sir like the waiter, but sir, my Lord. My Lord. And in fact, we had our electrician back out and he didn't even show up for like two weeks and it set it back. And so one night this week, I was literally, I just talked to, to Christ and I'm like, Jesus, I cannot foresee this even happening. Like, it's not going to finish. We have no, no power in the building, and the guy left. He's not answering. What do we do? But I do know that you are Lord over it. And I just intentionally just pause, and this is not like, I don't know if this will ever happen again in this way, but I said, all right, Jesus, I know you are supreme Lord. So I'm going to pray with faith that it, fi it gets fixed tomorrow. I don't even know, I can't foresee it. I don't see myself in that building with the lights on. Like I just, it's so far from happening. But God, you are the owner of it. You own this place. So just, I pray with that faith that it happens. Literally the next day, a guy who was our painter for it, he's also an electrician. And he said, I could come early. And in one day, he got all of it done. And I mean like, that bad boy, it was not wired at all and I don't know he didn't eat lunch he didn't eat dinner I didn't ask him for this but he did it and it finished I ended the night with the lights on and like I say that and you could say oh that's really simple thing but what if I started doing that with everything God you are the supreme ruler over my household so I'm going to stop thinking that I have to control things and I'm going to say you are sir here you are sir I will intentionally say, Jesus, if you are really the Lord today, then you have this supreme master over my responsibilities so I can pause and stop trying to control. Jesus, if you're really, sir, the Lord, then you also understand everything that I cannot fathom, so I will just walk and listen to what you're gonna do. See, this allows us to pause if we intentionally let this honor of God fuel our belief of what he can do. Full our belief of what is possible. You own this. I wrote this down. What would it lead me to do if I truly believed, if I truly believed that Jesus really owned everything? What would it lead me to say to people? What would that lead you to pray about if you truly believed that Jesus owned it? 
if he was the authority figure over it. I wonder what kind of belief we would live with if our honor began to fuel it. If our honor began to fuel it. And as I said at the start of this, we will not see miracles if we have this honor problem. I mean, as a church family, as a pastor, I'm not going to see God do great things in this coming year if I have an honor problem. Because then I'm going to try to constantly control it and I'm going to miss out. And if you know anything about God, he is out of your control. He's out of my control. And so we won't be able to see peace being transformed in our city if we have an honor problem. We're going to miss it. And so, yes, this deals with our beliefs, but let's call it what it is. If you welcome Jesus without honoring him, you're going to miss the majority of what he is doing. And so as we end this, I want to start approaching life as the father did in the end of the story. I have one little phrase where he says, I trust the word that Jesus spoke, and now I'm going on my way. That's literally what scripture says. It says he trusted the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. What if we just paused in our day, approached Jesus like sir, and treated him like this? Jesus, I trust the word that you say. You say you're going to be with me and you won't forsake me. You say that I'm redeemed and you say that no, no sin can overcome me. You, you say that I have been, been made new and so I'm going to trust what you spoke and I'm going to go on my way because you are Lord. You are owner. You are my ruler. And so I'm going to let that fuel me. I'm going to let it fuel me. So as we end this morning... I don't want to talk about what you haven't seen. Because often we get very bitter about what hasn't happened yet. But let's start looking at the opposite. Let's just pause and call Jesus who he is. The Lord, the master, the supreme ruler over it all. The God who is completely knowledgeable about every single issue and every single question and every single confusion and every single relational problem and every single financial debt, he understands and knows and has a plan. What if we just started approaching him knowing, not knowing the plan, but knowing full well that he has it. Jesus, I trust you. I honor you. I honor you. And let that belief then feel sight like never before. So glory family, will you pray with me as we continue in worship? God, forgive me for every time that my control has limited me from going outside of my comfort zone to see you at work. God, I pray that we can be a church that doesn't wait to see what you can do in order to believe that you have the ability. But God, instead, we approach like this man who says, Lord, I know you can do the miraculous. And so God, I pray for it. I request it. Because I'm not hoping for what you can give me and then you go on your way, but God, I'm honoring you for who you are and believing that what you can do will just showcase your glory more. So God, I pray that over this, this room, 
that your goodness would change us and transform us for your glory. In your name, Lord, pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.